For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Let me begin this morning by saying I, like many of you, uh, was shocked, um, heartbroken, and horrified with the events that occurred at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church at the end of this last week, just a few days ago. Uh, Many people in our parish uh, know um, people who worship at St. Stephen's. Some of them, uh, even for years um, uh, before, had worshiped at St. Stephen's. We continue to lift up the families of the victims in prayer. We pray uh, for justice um, and for um, uh, our Lord to use his church in the midst of these uh, tragic events. And we'll be praying for St. Stephen's and the victims' families during our prayers of the people uh, this morning. Well, if you have a Bible, I ask you to open it to Galatians chapter 3, our epistle reading this morning. And welcome to all the kiddos who are in the service this morning. Happy Father's Day to uh, our fathers as well, who are helping, I know, wrangle uh, the kiddos this morning. Surprise, Uh, we love you. Galatians 3. All right, in his book, Truth and Tolerance, uh, Joseph Ratzinger speaks of the truth of the Christian faith. And he says that the truth of the Christian faith is encapsulated in this particular fact that the triune God of the universe called a particular man at a particular time in a particular place to bring about universal salvation for the world. Now, when I say universal salvation for the world, I don't mean that everyone just gets to be saved. I mean that salvation might, in fact, go to the ends of the earth for those who would believe. But Ratzinger says that the Christian faith begins with a particular man in a particular location, following a particular calling, and then is eventually universalized for all who would believe so that salvation might extend beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. Well, that particular man was Abram. You recall, right? The particular man was Abram. He was called from the Ur of the Chaldeans, visited by God, visited by God and asked to be obedient, asked to have faith that God was going to be doing a work in reality. Salvation came to that particular man and then to his offspring as they inherited that particular land. And then we would see, of course, that it is the Hebrew people that would receive the Messiah, the um, the God-man himself, Jesus Christ, who then would offer salvation to all the world for all who would, in fact, believe. And we get to see a glimpse of this in the Old Testament. You recall the God-fearers, the the Gentiles who were not Hebrews, who were not, quote-unquote, under that Hebrew law, names uh, like Ruth and Rahab and even Naaman. They were incorporated as God-fearers as this salvation was being universalized to the ends of the earth for all who would fear God and have faith and believe. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 1, 16. He says, For I, Paul, am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for it is the power of God 
for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also for the Greek. The movement of God saving history, moving to the ends of the earth. What a beautiful thing. And of course, we Christians know that through baptism and faith, anyone can have salvation because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. Anyone who has faith and then is baptized into our Lord. Now, this universality, again, not universal salvation, but just this universal fact that salvation was now not just for the Jew, but for all who might believe, this premise of the Christian faith was being challenged in Galatia. We know again that Paul is writing this letter, Galatians, to a particular people, to churches in Galatia, which is present-day um, central and northern Turkey. But you see, there was a problem going on in the church in Galatia. There were um, believers called Judaizers who were, um, who'd been raised up in the church, but what they were saying is this, that belief in Jesus as the Messiah and baptism into Christ was not enough. That actually, if you were a Gentile man in particular, you must be circumcised if you would actually be able to receive the gospel. So they were referred to as Judaizers, trying to make Gentiles follow Jewish laws for their salvation. In short, what they were doing is adding works to the gospel. They were adding works to grace. It wasn't just about receiving Christ through faith and being baptized into our Lord. It was about doing something extra. And now, like well, I say and now, scholars have, have, have discovered recently, over the, about the last 50 years or so, that, that these Judaizers were actually playing a, a pretty interesting game, as many heretics do. They try to appease both sides, right? They try to appease both sides, and then, um, of course, in their appeasement, fall into heresy. So what were these Judaizers doing in this time? Well, we know what they were doing because Paul alludes to it in Galatians 6.12. He says this, it is those, these Judaizers, these false prophets, we might say, who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised in only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They were wanting Gentile believers in Galatia, men in particular, to be circumcised so that they could escape persecution from Jewish authorities but still maintain the gospel and Christianity. They wanted to have it both ways. And so they were preaching this, and Paul writes the entire book of Galatians, pushing back against that teaching. Preaching, of course, freedom in Christ. So, the false teaching emerges. And what is it saying? It is saying, simply put, that these Gentile believers in Galatia are not, um, they're not good enough, having been saved by faith, having been incorporated into Jesus Christ. There's more that they have to do. There's more that they have to do to then find favor with God. In this instance, the men must be circumcised or they can't be saved. Well, let me remind you, my brothers and sisters, that Paul is preaching, in Christ, you have received freedom. You have received salvation. You are no longer bound to work out your salvation as in working your way to God. God has condescended to you, has liberated you, so that you then, in obedience, may follow him in this life. The gospel, 
beautiful news that we find in Galatians, as Paul is writing. He writes this in verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you, and we can think of ourselves as well, are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You know, in the early church, in the first really 300 years of the church, when the gospel was being um, really spread by the blood of the martyrs, right? People were dying for the faith. And as non-Christians were seeing the martyrs being slain for the faith, they were saying, this is real. This is true. And they were coming to faith, praise God. And as they were coming to faith and being baptized, the women and men would be baptized into the water. And then they would emerge and be given a white robe, a white cloak, to celebrate that they were now in Christ, that they were pure, that they were declared righteous, a beautiful thing. And we see that even um, with the adults that we baptize here in our church or the infants, we see that quite often uh, white is worn as, as, sim- as symbolizing what is actually taking place in their baptism, a beautiful thing, made righteous by putting on Christ. And then we come to verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So let me pause here and say that this verse, this one verse in Galatians, has been taken out of context so often in the last hundred years specifically of the church to basically say that there are no more distinctions that exist in reality, specifically between male and female, that there are, um, uh, there are no, quote-unquote, um, not only distinctions, but even hierarchies that exist in reality, and everyone is just exactly like everybody else, not only in salvation, but also in the world at large. And let me tell you that that is just, that's not, in, in fact, the case. So what I want to do here is argue for a moment that what Paul is getting at in Galatians 3.28 is that for the Jew or the Greek, for the person that is enslaved or that is free, for the male and the female, all of them in the church, if they have faith and are baptized into Christ, are equally, equally sharers of Christ's nature. What a, what a gift from God. But you see, we live in a culture that has confused what I like to say um, is the distinction between being or ontology and hierarchy. Some of you, when I uttered the word hierarchy, might have, you know, done one of these in the seat a little bit. What's he, what's he getting at? Is, is this another oppressor here from the pulpit? Well, I'm, I, no, I'm not an oppressor from the pulpit. I love you, but I am one who knows that ontologically speaking, between male and female, between those that are executive and CEOs and those that um, uh, sweep the floor of of office buildings, those that are um, priests in Christ's church and those that are lay members of Christ's church, all of us, no matter our ethnicity, our height, our weight, our ability to speak, all of us are ontologically equal in Christ. We have been given the same garment. We are clothed in Him. Hallelujah. Daniel Boggan is no more, he's no better than I am in, in the eyes of our Lord. Bethany's no better than me, I'm no better than Bethany. We are ontologically equal. 
But I will say this, this text has often been used then to say that if we're ontologically equal, then there is no hierarchy, there's no structure to reality. And let me remind you, my brothers and sisters, that the grace of God that's given to humanity, the grace of God itself, the most beautiful thing that we can possess as human beings and as Christian, perfects our nature. It doesn't obliterate it, it perfects it. So what do I mean by that? That in Christ, the Jew is no better than the Greek, the Greek no better than the Jew. The slave is no better than the master, the master no better than the slave. The male is no better than the female, and the female is no better than the male, for all are in Christ Jesus, and Paul says, one in Christ. What a beautiful unity, my brothers and sisters. Matter of fact, this was a bit revolutionary to those reading this in Galatia. Because you see, in the church, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter what your sex is, it doesn't matter your giftings, we are equal with each other through Christ because we have been baptized into him, because we have received the faith that he has given us. What a beautiful thing. But we also know that if we look at other writings of Paul, specifically dealing with the family and within marriage, there is structure, there is order. But you see, hierarchy and structure, specifically given by God, for instance, in the family unit, as we talk about Father's Day today, the father is being uh, the head of the household, the head of the wife, the one who is called to sacrifice himself for his family, for his spouse in particular, as Christ sacrificed for the church, this structure is not in fact um, oppressive, but actually is a structure that when guided by the Spirit brings about liberty, brings about liberty for all that are involved. So let me go a little bit further. When we as Christians think about the hierarchy in the family or even in the church, right? Not everyone is called to be an elder or a bishop or a deacon, but all of us, though, have the same robe of Christ, the same garment around us, equal salvation. We see that hierarchies given from God are neither, they're definitely not evil and they're definitely, they're not necessarily inherently good, we would say, but they perform a function. These hierarchies, God gives them because there is a function to them, and that's for human flourishing. That's for women to live into their womanhood, man into their manhood, if you happen to be married, to live in a structure that brings about the goodness of God to reality. You see, the hierarchy, when utilized correctly by the Spirit, brings about good ends that God would want, which makes us realize then, brothers and sisters, that in our relationship to one another, husband to wife, child to, um, to parent, parents to children, clergy to laity, laity to clergy, if we do not begin with the fact that each of us have been grafted into Jesus Christ through baptism and by faith, then we will utilize the roles that we play in the reality that God has given to us. We will use those to oppress. We will use those Um, uh, in ways that God did not intend and bring about suffering. You know, you can imagine this, the distinction between a a priest and laity. You know, the priest that walks around holier than, I'm holier than you and do what I say and you're subject to me. Like, no, no, no. Like, the elder, the priest of the church, the shepherd of the people is to lay himself down for the people, to teach the people so that the people may be raised up. That the church itself and the order that God has given the church may in fact produce 
Christ's likeness in the people. So again, what is Paul getting at here in Galatians 3.28? He's saying that we in the church are ontologically equal because we are in Christ. And this means that when someone comes through those doors and is incorporated into our community as a baptized believer, you may make more money than them, less money than them. You may um, have a different vocation than them. They may be female, you may be male, but we relate to each other through our Lord Jesus Christ who has offered liberation and freedom to us all. And in doing that, my brothers and sisters, we actually allow others to experience the oneness in Christ that the church has, in fact, been given. Now, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Do you remember what our Lord said in uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 9? He said this, and do not presume to say to yourselves, he's talking to the Pharisees and scribes, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. You see, it's no longer about their Jewishness that they're able to just to be grafted in. But actually, the Gentiles, too, are heirs to the promises of God. We will see with our last verse of Galatians 3 um, itself as a chapter. Then we see uh, slave nor free. Again, we're reminded of that short book Philemon. It's one chapter. In that book, Paul writes a letter to Philemon, who does own, um, we would say own slaves, or have slaves that work in his household. Again, this isn't chattel slavery in the United States. This is uh, first century slave, slavery in which 70 or 70% or so were in fact in bondage some way or another financially to others. Paul says to Philemon, you need to get Onesimus back into your house and no longer treat him as a servant, but as a brother in Christ. What a revolutionary idea. In Christ, treat him as your brother, though he still is working for you. Again, we move on, and we see that there is neither male uh, nor female. Again, your maleness or your femaleness doesn't move you by your nature any closer to God. It doesn't move you any closer to God. Matter of fact, we are equal with one another ontologically. But finally, this moves us to the last verse here, verse 29, that the people often skip over in the discussions um, of chapter 3, verse 28. So let me turn, turn your attention here to 29, verse 29. It says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Here's the irony and the beauty of all of this. No matter if you're a Gentile or not, if you're free or not, a man or a woman, you, in fact, are heirs to Abraham, who is the father of the faith. Praise the Lord. You are heirs through Christ to Abraham and the promises given to him mediated through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Brothers and sisters, finally, this reminds me of the sacrament of Holy Communion. If you think about it, here in just a little bit, all of us, despite our situations in life financially, despite our sex, despite whether or not we're called to a life of singleness or to be married, whether or not um, uh, you are a priest or a deacon or a lay leader or just a laity that attends, no matter who you are, if you are a baptized Christian, you are able to come to this rail with open hands and to receive 
Jesus himself to receive his grace freely. There's no discrimination at this table. If you are in our Lord, you are able to freely come and to receive him. So brothers and sisters, may our, may our church not be a place that falls into the trap of obliterating any order that God has given to us for the household of faith or the household within a marriage and a family or even for the one that is called the singleness. Let us not obliterate these gifts of God, but let us make a distinction between those good gifts of order and the equality we have through Jesus Christ so that we may live into those things and allow the grace of God to perfect our nature for the salvation of the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.